Cork musician Claro Mahoney was in the Rebel Matters hot seat today, talking about her albums, what goes into getting a show up on stage, and her upcoming Songs of Joni Mitchell show at the Everyman Theatre. Claire trained with us at Ackley way back when we were just getting started and we've stayed in touch ever since. Claire's a graduate of the Music Management and Sound course at Cork's College of Stefan Nefe and began to pen her own songs while learning about songwriting and performance. Claire's debut album, Secret World, was very well received and included two songs produced by Declan Sinnott. She went on to share the stage with James Blunt and Ron Haynes as well as performing her own shows throughout Ireland. She has performed in Toronto, Newfoundland, Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, as well as New York and Chicago. And today's show features a Rebel Matters first. Claire recorded a song for us right here in the studio and it was just out of this world. So we're going to get stuck into that before the interview to get the happy vibes going. Enjoy the show. The Rebel Matters podcast is sponsored by Ackley a company that I started myself back in 2013 and that's based in the Crawford Business Park right in the heart of Cork City. The key mission behind Ackley is to provide a high quality personal training service with a difference to our members. The last five years have been a never ending learning curve for me and the rest of the Ackley team. From the ongoing development of our personal training service, getting the grips with the business side of the training facility, marketing, managing and growing our member base. The result has been that we've developed a very high standard of personal training that's totally unique from anything else that's out there. And we've attracted people from all walks of life and all levels of ability to our training facility. If you're interested in finding out more about what we do at Ackley, go to aclai.ie. And if you'd like to find out how we can help you with your health, fitness or sports performance, you can book yourself in for a 20 minute complimentary consultation at a time that suits your own schedule from the same homepage.
So how did you start out in music? Um, I was always interested in music, I suppose, but I was kind of a late starter as regards playing and writing. So I was probably 19 before I started playing the guitar. Um, and I, at the time I was listening to uh, Tracy Chapman and Sinead Lohan and people like that who were on the radio um, at that time. So uh, that's why or how I started playing along with them and singing along with them and stuff like that. So before that, I had played the piano for about 10 years. <laughs> so classic, you know, like you do, you do your grades or whatever. So um, I'd stopped that and then picked up the guitar maybe five years later or something. So and what made you pick up the guitar? I suppose I just loved listening to those songs like and I kind of just wanted to try, try, try it out. Um, they would all have been guitar players as well, like so just trying to play along with the songs and learning how to play them and stuff. Did you just learn the guitar yourself or did you get lessons? Um, no, I learned it myself. Like I kind of, yeah, pretty much learned, learned myself. Actually. Like from books or? Um, yeah, books. Um, I was going to say online, but sure that wasn't the case at the time. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> no, that's a lie. Um, and then I suppose I, st- I had some basic chords, you know, that you could pick up yourself. And I went to Claude Stéphane for then to do the music course there. And I suppose that would have brought me on a good bit in terms of playing as well. Like, so. So you're playing um, Johnny Mitchell tribute night in yeah. very the, soon in the Everyman. The 14th, and yeah. 14th February. So she must be one of your biggest musical influences <clears throat> at the minute. Yeah, definitely. I've kind of become a little bit obsessed um, since deciding to do it. Um, I loved her album Blue. That's kind of the first one I heard. And I just, um, it was the first kind of, uh, I suppose it's still very original, um, even if to com- compare it with any other albums of, you know, female songwriters or whatever. Um, so I was kind of intrigued by that. And I used to listen to that over and over. Um, I didn't quite play along with that at the time because <laughs> it's quite difficult, but um, she would definitely be an influence of mine, yeah. Are you are you method acting at the moment? No, not at all. <laughs> I have no f- cigarette or berry or <laughs> easel. <laughs> so you've done that. You've done the Johnny Mitchell show before. Yeah, yeah. And how did it go the last time? Great. Um, we did it in Collins um, in June, just gone, um, as in the summer just gone. And it sold out pretty quickly. So there was, I think it sold out with two or three weeks left. So we kind of knew that it was going to be popular, you know. Um, and I suppose in my head, I had always wanted it to be in a theatre type setting. Um, a Collins was fantastic and we, I, I like playing there anyway, but just for that kind of show and I think for really um, showcasing the songs, a theatre type setting is really where I had it in in my head to go, you know. So what goes into organising a show like that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose firstly, getting the the right people involved in terms of musicians. Um, so I was really lucky with the people I have playing with me. They're super, you know, they're all really, really talented. So that's the f- one of the things. And then I suppose there's an awful lot that goes on behind the scenes, you know, in terms of booking your, your venues, your posters, what it's what the whole show is going to look like, really, what songs you're going to play, the order they go in, um, who's going to play on them. You know, a lot of her stuff is just acoustic guitar and vocal. But because I have the full band with me, I kind of wanted to do a little bit more with the songs and without overdoing it and kind of being true to what I hope <laughs> being true to what she would have liked maybe or something, you know. Um, is the show in the theatre setting, is that something that's kind of new to you or? Uh, yeah, I've played a few supports in that type of setting before, but nothing just, you know, nothing headlining, let's say myself really. So um, it is different, you know, it is, you have to be 
much more on your toes, I think. <laughs> yeah. So it's just going to be you up in front and then the band is off to the side? Or? Yeah. Like, so it'll be kind of surrounded like a semicircle, I suppose, really. So I'll be in the front. Yeah. Um, there's a total of eight of us on the stage at the time. So we've three backing singers as well. Um, and your drums, bass, guitar and piano. So. And what's it like just before the curtain goes up? On a show like that? Uh, I'll let you know. <laughs> I'm not sure, I suppose, as I, like, I suppose because we didn't have that setting for Collins, it's not quite the same. Um, so you would have your excitement and a bit of adrenaline, you know, without a doubt. And I'm kind of envisaging what it will be like, um, just like that, you know, and how we'll come out. And I suppose it's kind of, that's where you think what song will we start with as well, so that we're all super comfortable and everyone enjoys it, the, us and the audience. And stuff, Get into you know? the groove as soon as possible. Yeah, 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 exactly. You're not taking too much of a risk uh, initially, so... And what other what other things have you done before you've done this Joni Mitchell show? Yeah, um, I recorded two albums myself of my own stuff over the last probably 10 years, I'd say. So I started back a good while ago, back in, I think it was 2005, I did the first album I wrote and that came out then. Um, and I went to Canada for a while and played music there and um, played along with, our, I kind of played support with Ron to Ron Hines, who he's actually passed away since, but he wrote Sonny's Dream, you know. Um, so he... I, he would have helped me a little bit in Canada and I just played lots of gigs really, you know, over there. So it's yeah. kind of a, it seems like a tough life to, to make it through. Mm. Like it's not a nine to five job and no. probably involves a lot of things that, are, that, that aren't involved in having a nine to five job, like organizing yeah. things yourself. Like what's the yeah. lifestyle like there? Um, yeah, without a doubt, I suppose there's huge risk involved and you don't make, you know, a huge amount of money doing this uh, necessarily. Like I suppose the vast majority of people, some can make a good enough living to keep doing it full time. Others, not so much. It depends on 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 what kind of area you're coming from, I suppose. Um, lifestyle wise, yeah, I suppose I do have a job as well. So um, I wasn't uh, brave enough maybe to take the full risk <laughs> and just, uh, well, we'll see if Joni Mitchell takes off. I might be quitting. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and like the, the, there is like a lot of late nights and stuff to get mm. there as well, I guess. So yeah. like, how, how do you how do you juggle like mm. having a regular life in yeah. between the gigs and stuff to get there yeah. and touring as well? I imagine like you've done a good bit of touring. So. Constant exhaustion, really. And uh, no, <laughs> I suppose, yeah, I, I can kind of tie it in with my time off at work. Do you know what I mean? So in fairness, any of the jobs I have had, I've been able to take time off when I need it to play a gig or whatever. If it's late at night, I'll just just be going to bed a little bit later than maybe a normal person um and yeah like in general gigs are late and they're you know it's a it's a late start late end like but that's just part and parcel if you want to do it I suppose really and I was talking to Dara Graham from Hermitage Green on the podcast a good few episodes ago but we had a little chat about the kind of touring and Mm. what it took to get up for the gig every night if you're doing gigs night after night after night like, do you have kind of a routine that you go through to get yourself up and make sure that you're you're on form? Or I suppose I haven't experienced it in a while. Like the gigs that I would have done for my own albums, I would have spread them out a good bit. So I didn't have as much of that kind of constant um, getting up and going for it again day after day. I suppose if this does, um, we, well, we will be playing some more venues around the country of, in Galway, I think on the 8th of June. And we'll have some more coming up um, over the summer. But I suppose in one sense it's kind of handy that I work as well in that I don't probably won't have uh you know two or three week or two or three month stint of of this like it's more of a show that I can bring with me when it suits and when the theatres have have a booking for me you know and what about making an album like what goes into that Mm, money (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I suppose 
for my first one, I just kind of wanted to go and keep it as simple as possible and decide whether I wanted someone to produce it or not. And I had Declan Sinnott to, I think, produce two of the songs on that first album. And um, then I decided to do the rest kind of just myself and the guy that I was recording with. We kind of just did the rest and got some musicians in to play. Um, so a lot of, a lot of, I suppose it comes a time where you kind of have to decide, OK, the song is ready to record, you know, um, and that can be... Um, What's, what's, I suppose, a bit scary because if you record it and you're kind of going, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that, that process can be kind of endless. So you have to just decide, OK, you know, that's that's as good as I could do at the time or you can be very self-critical. Well, I can. Um, and I think that's one of the things. But then it's on the other hand, you have your finished album and you're um, putting it out for people and hopefully you know, it goes down well, like, so. Like, that's probably, like, any piece of creative work where you yeah. can just keep on ad yeah. adjusting it and trying to fix it up and stuff, like, indefinitely, absolutely. forever. Yeah, absolutely, and just chip away at it, you know, and you could never be finished if you wanted to not be finished, do you know what I mean? So the process is you have in your head that you want to make an album and you wrote a lot of the songs yourself for that album? Yeah, I suppose I didn't even start out wanting to have an album. Do you know what I mean? I started out with the songs and then I had enough songs to make an album. So it came at it that way, really. Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me, um, once I had enough songs and I was kind of thinking, well, how do I, what do I want it to sound like? And, you know. I heard you figure that out. You ring up Declan Siddhartan and be like, here, Declan, any <laughs> chance to come on down to Cork there for a wee while? He was in Cork at the time, actually. And I was in Stefanefa. It was just after finishing in Stefanefa. So I was chatting to Chris O'Hearn in there about you know, some options that might be, might be good in terms of recording and stuff. And it would have been Chris who put me in touch with Declan. Like, so that's how that came about. And did yeah. you just get into the studio then and yeah. start making yeah. it? Mm -hmm. how, what what kind of time period does it take to, to make an album like that? You could do it in a couple of weeks or it could take months, depending on how, how you want to set it up, you know. Um, like for the songs I recorded with Declan, we did them, I think, over two days, the two songs. So kind of a day each. And he took them then and did some stuff with them afterwards. But recording-wise, it was that that quick. Like um, for the other stuff, then it was much longer, I suppose, and more kind of bitty. So you'd lay down your drums and maybe you have to redo them or something. And then you put your, your layers on, so about your bass and your guitar players playing over that. And just, you know, it can take a bit of time. Yeah. And did you learn anything in particular in between making the first album and the second album? Yeah, but I probably didn't learn enough because um, I think... I was, I'm still quite old fashioned in that I love CDs. I love the physical copy and I like having it. But I think maybe I could have put it out digitally without creating those, you know. That was one of the big things, I suppose, in realising, actually it's changed quite a lot in the, in the 10 years, you know, in the music industry and how you might put something out. Um, that, that would have been the biggest thing. And as well, maybe not... I suppose uh, being a bit more careful about what, what I was recording and the kinds of songs and stuff like that, I just kind of maybe chose them a bit differently. And, and that thing about having a physical copy compared yeah. to a digital copy, like that is that is a big thing these days. Like yeah. Spotify is our, basically all, yeah. all music is mm. all at your fingertips. Like yeah. how does that work from the musician's point of view? Not very well, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like I, I just love the, like I just love having a copy of it, you know, and reading through the, the backs of the CDs and the insides and who was on it and the thank yous and all that stuff. Um, maybe it's from being involved, but I, I, I like I like to be for that as well. Um, I think it's just kind of devalued music a little bit as well. I know it's great, but just the instant and instant um, music at your fingertips thing and 
how free it is. It kind of just, I think it undervalues how hard it is to have put that piece of music together, you know. It's a little bit like, the, but then maybe that's why the reason Vinyl is making such a comeback. Yeah, like yeah. I, I have a record player now and I get mm. records from time to time and end up listening to the, the full record, yeah, start to finish, <laughs> turn it over, listen to yeah. the other side, whereas on Spotify or like, nah, don't like it. halfway through the song, yeah. change. Yeah. And I've noticed that my dad is a big Bob Dylan fan and mm. Elvis fan and mm. he can name every track mm on every record in order, A right? side B side yeah. in order like what's on the cover who yeah. else was on it because he just bought the music bit by bit yeah. listened to the absolute crap out of it yeah. until yeah. the record was nearly worn out and then got another album and then did the same thing so you're kind of building up mm. the memory bank as well but it's probably a better experience and more more. it's more mindful nearly do you know what I mean you're sitting down and you're choosing to listen to something through and if you want to skip onto the next song it's a bit of a hassle like and you know um, it just makes you listen to it properly you know even on a CD you have a bit more likelihood to do that like vinyl yeah. definitely um, maybe we break out tapes as well fast forward songs I think it's because you have to actually physically go over there yeah, somewhere and change the thing and like, take yeah. your thing out and change it turn it around yeah. And from like from a financial point of view, then that's obviously changed the model for musicians as well. Whereas if you sell like five million records mm. 30, 40 years ago, then you see a direct return from that where it's yeah. not really the same anymore. Like, no. What's the what's the future for music from that point of view? Oh, um, I think I that's probably the lesson I mean, like in terms of I, I did put out a physical CD, but I found such a difference when I was playing gigs about the people who wanted them this time around versus the people who wanted them the last time. There was a vast um, drop in the people who wanted the really? physical CD. Yeah. What was the difference in time between the two albums? 10 years. 10 years. Yeah, yeah, 10 years. Not even, maybe nine. Um, So there was a huge difference. Like I would have sold loads of CDs at um, support gigs and my own gigs back, um, you know, the, the, the first album, whereas the second one, it was really tough to move them, you know, the physical ones like. Um, so I suppose like you're talking about your YouTube videos and, you know, getting awareness out there really. And then live, I think that's probably the way the way things are going. So has it gone from putting your your musical, your tracks on Spotify and YouTube and mm. then getting people to buy into it so they come to the gigs? Yeah, Is that yeah, kind of yeah. the model? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's how it would work. Yeah. And do you think, is there a gender gap in music in the way that, is there a gender gap that in music in the same way that there is in other industries? Is it easier to make it if you're if you're male or female or I think there is, but I you know, I think there is like even the Joni Mitchell gig itself, like, you know, the likes of Bob it's not to take away from Bob Dylan or Leonard Cohen or anyone else, but they're like heroes, you know, and played in bars all the time and sing songs like and everyone knows about them. And you, you've Joni Mitchell, who I think is far better, you know, dare you say <laughs> she can actually sing and everything. And um like you just never hear it, you know. Now, to be fair, the stuff is a lot harder to play as well. So that might be part of the reason, but you just don't hear it. And I kind of wonder why, you know, I wonder why people don't latch on to somebody like that along the same lines as they do with the likes of Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen or whatever. But um, is there one modern like in in today I, I think so yeah I like it would be interesting still... to see the the gig list for venues and stuff like that yeah. and see what the breakdown is there over the course of a year or something like that I know I think there was this um Facebook post went out there a year ago or two years ago maybe I think and it took off all the male um headliners or male ar artists and there was maybe five female artists left playing on, on it you know um but yeah I, I was gonna say something 
Oh, I can't remember. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think there is still, a, it, it's still there, you know, it's still there. Oh yeah, I remember now, like before when I put out a, a single, I had a meeting with um, a radio station, I won't say who, and I was told that there's already a Mary Black out there, so sure we can't play your stuff. Do you know, so I'm kind of thinking, okay, like I've, if, because I'm female and Irish, I'm not going to get played on the radio as long as Mary Black's alive, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have a while to yeah, go. Yeah, Probably toughly to touch it. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, why is that? Because, like, they just wouldn't put, like, a female songwriter, it seems to be classed, like, if there's one there, then that covers everything. Like, the different types, the different styles doesn't didn't seem to come into it at the time, do you know what I mean? Whereas, I think with guys, they were seen as, whatever the name might be, as individual songwriters as opposed to a male songwriter, you know? Like, I don't know, I, I suppose it's just classed as not as different and they all sound the same nearly, do you know? <laughs> yeah, like it's probably going off track a, a little bit from what we're talking about, but yeah. like, I'm just, why, it's, just, it's hard to, it's hard to really get to the, the, the crux of why there is such a big difference mm. in um, the way that uh, female singers or artists are promoted compared to the, the males really. Like, mm. do you think it's changing? Um, I don't know, I suppose, like, because I'm doing this gig, I'm kind of riding on the coattails of Joni Mitchell's reputation, so it doesn't really count as much, do you know what I mean? I have to be female to do it, really. Well, I don't, but, you know, I suppose a guy could do it as well if they can hit those horrendous notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. I think it might be changing a little bit, but uh, just the videos and stuff that are, that are coming out for, like, the young girl bands and stuff like that, just, I don't know. They just kind of freak me out a little bit. Actually, this is another question. Actually, it's just sprung to mind. It's not. It's not on the list. So yes. I'm going to throw Go you on. off. <laughs> in terms of role models yeah. in the in the music world, say for example, because that's what we're talking about. Yeah. But like that has changed in the last ten years as well. Whereas you look back, where like because you mentioned Bob Dylan, like Bob Dylan, mm. a lot of his songs have got sort of a political message, or yeah. um, they're some way geared at getting people to think about society mm. as it is but that's kind of changed as well in a lot of the sense in that much of the music that we get today is there's no real message there mm. really like it's it's kind of ties in with the way that we're all uh, very much attached to social media these days and it's more yeah. it seems to be more superficial is that is that the case probably yeah i think more superficial and like people aren't as attentive at all to what, what's going on and you need to capture their attention probably lighter things do you know what i mean to like you know dangly sparkly things to catch the music like, you know and that seems to be the way it is like and I think that all ties back into not really sitting down and listening to something as well you know and um yeah it's I do think it's the way it is the the role models that we have they're they're definitely it, like it seems to be more of a distraction than anything else whereas there's, there's a, there isn't that sense of having a sort of a moral message or like a an activist message in yeah. in the music that we have today compared compared to before. Music that you compared mm. with before, um, it just seems that we that we've replaced mm. the role models that, that can actually guide people, uh, and like that's why a lot of people, if you listen to like say, people talking about when they got into listening to the Beatles and things like mm. that, that was a real sort of a revolution at the time. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that there's another revolution going to come down the road? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be. It would probably be nice, you know, if, and maybe it is happening a little bit, even with the vinyl stuff that you know people are putting out. It's it's from more dare I say credible artists you know what I mean that they're putting that out so people can really hear what they're saying be it political or just a bit more credible you know um I don't think there necessarily has to be a political message but I do know what you mean like just something that's more solid and have a bit more depth to it than your cheesy pop song which I have no issue with either because I like a bit of cheesy pop like ABBA love ABBA yeah but 
yeah, I think, um, I think there could be a bit of a change, you know, even if it's just slowly and trickling through with the likes of taking the time to listen to the song properly, you know. And I, I didn't mean to be bashing on the music there no, either. Um, like, there's a lot of local people who are yeah. who are doing things that are really good as well. Yeah. Maybe there, maybe that's another part of it is that it's time to start looking at the more the, the artists that are playing locally. Absolutely. Like there's so many people playing, like even in Ireland and, and certainly in Cork, so many people playing and playing really good music and probably struggling to try and get stuff out there. You know what I mean? Because it is difficult and it's expensive if you really want to get it out there. And it's hard work, you know, um, so. I had um, Peter Parr, who's a music producer on the podcast as well. And we actually ended up talking about that kind of thing where mm. Because everything is so manufactured these days and shiny and yeah. in a sense artificial because of the fact there's so much um, goes into the production of like music videos and stuff mm. and that, that artists who are coming up through um, their teenage years see that and think that that's what it has to be like. Yeah. But really that's sort of a misrepresentation of what music really is. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, and maybe that's always been there a little bit, do you know what I mean? Um, like I remember even when I was in Stefanefa, I was probably 23 and I was old in the class, you know, because everyone had just left school. So maybe they were 18 or 19 and I was probably listening to, or, or seeing Britney Spears and that kind of uh, those people at the time. And I was going, oh, my God, I'm way too old for this. And how am I going to do this? Do you know what I mean? And it could be the same sort of scenario for people who are starting out now, coming up, looking at all these, you know, kids on YouTube and whatever, you know, being successful. And yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it is. Uh, it would be nice if it was, it was started to change and if I suppose there were other um, artists that people were exposed to who are local and who are um, doing a good job musically as well, you know. If there was someone who was young who was starting off in music who had aspirations to, ha- to build a career in music, what would you say to them? Don't. <laughs> Not at all. Um, I suppose you have to kind of figure out what, what you want to achieve from it really, you know, and be realistic about it. Um the kind of record deals are not as, you know, um, frequent as they used to be or as easy to come by by any means. And you kind of have to do it yourself. It's almost like running a business. Um, and I suppose I did the music course and stuff and if, and I would highly recommend anyone to do that because it gives you a lot of, like it was part of how long ago, a long time ago that I did it, but I'm sure it's just as good. Um, just in terms of giving you a clue about the business side of things, you know, a marketing side of things, songwriting all the music side of things as well um I think that's a great start I would do that and just decide what you want to do and where you see yourself and then you know you don't have to do what everyone else is doing either you know I've kind of maneuvered myself into doing this gig um because I want to keep playing music and I couldn't make enough money off my own songs you know um so that's why I'm doing this I wanted to as well but you know you maybe think a little bit outside the box and as to how to keep going as well you mentioned record deals yeah. there and I've heard people saying like when they hear of someone getting a record deal, they're like, oh, you sold your soul. Like, oh. is, is there a big drive on like independently released music and uh, having kind of control of what you're doing yourself? Or? Depends on the deal. Like, I mean, there's like just because you get a record deal doesn't mean it's a good deal, do you know? So I suppose it just depends um, if somewhere to where someone were to come along and offer me a good record deal where I do have control, but they'll still pay for loads of stuff, then yes, absolutely I'd take it. You know, Happy days, I don't yeah. see it as selling your soul at all. No, not at all. And what kind of, what kind of, what way does your week go if you're practicing and you're working? 
yeah, just I go to work um, <laughs> most of the time. And then <laughs> I would schedule rehearsals. I'm kind of a bit of a nerd, so I have Excel spreadsheets and stuff done out for people to see when they're free and try and schedule rehearsals in the evening time when everyone's around and like... Um, like the girls, the backing singers, one is in London, one is in North Cork, one is in Meath um, and the piano players in Dublin. So it's difficult to get everyone together, but, you know, we've managed to do it. So it's just a lot of organisation. So. Yeah, that's probably an essential skill set, really, for what you're what you're doing. For this, yeah, yeah. Or else get everyone to be in Cork, <laughs> get them to move. <laughs> if you could give your 10 years younger version of yourself some advice, what would it be? Um, I suppose to kind of calm down and realize where you're at you know I think with my first album I put it out and I didn't realize how much progress I was after making um I was always kind of panicking that I didn't do enough or wasn't successful enough for want of a better word you know and actually at the time I was getting quite a bit of airplay and you know reviews and stuff like that a bit of interest um and I didn't appreciate it really so I think to kind of appreciate it and slow down and realize what you do achieve whatever that might be for yourself um and that's it really just chill out <laughs> did it make you realize after having the first album mm. and having that realization that you just described there about yeah. why you were doing it probably yeah I suppose I had different expectations for the second album you know um than I had for the first I thought after the first surely I'll be at least a 500,000 air, if not a millionaire, you know, <laughs> but that didn't happen. So, <laughs> but, you know, I, I probably had slightly unrealistic expectations, but at the same time, even though I was achieving certain things, I didn't really realise I was, you know. Um, so I had different expectations for the second one and I kind of just allowed whatever happened to happen, really. Because um, a lot of, you know, a lot of it is, you do work hard, but a lot of it is kind of out of your control if people don't pick up on it or if they do or if you thought you'd be in a different niche than you are or whatever it might be, you know. So at some stage, did you like ask yourself, like, why am I doing this? Um, yeah, you'd ask that quite a lot, I think. You know? What what came out? Um, you'd go, th for me, I went through kind of phases of like, why am I doing this? Like, and what came out was I have no idea really you know it's just a drive I suppose for me like I, I did want to keep playing and there was kind of I I always wanted to play kind of theatre venues and um much as I would have done some of that I suppose there wasn't enough momentum for me to do it for my with my own stuff so that's why I kind of moved towards the Joni Mitchell stuff which I think there that there is a good bit of interest in you know do you have a particular high point of your career so far I think this is it, you know, for me, um, I, I loved when I did some gigs in the States as well, kind of over there supporting um, kind of a Celtic rock band, actually. But that was fun. Um, Theatre type venues as well, you know, and people were looking for autographs from the Irish girls. So it was quite funny. But um, I, I'm enjoying this, you know, I'm enjoying and the local, like getting to play in the Everyman and having, you know, it's, tickets are going well and stuff. So that I'm enjoying that aspect of it. Like, And on the other side of it, have you had a, a low point in your musical career? Um, yeah, I suppose just those, those moments where you kind of do ask yourself, what, what am I doing this for, you know, and what to do next? Like there was a huge gap for me between the first and second album. So there would have been quite a bit of low point, quite a few low points in that period of time. Um, and I found it difficult to write songs and kind of gave up a little bit, you know, um, I did stop writing and stop playing and stuff for a good bit. Like, so that would have been. I suppose, yeah, that was the low point, really, musically, you know. 
it sounds like that's kind of a part of a cycle that a lot of people who work in creative areas go through mm. where they have a high point and then a, pe- a period where they're not really sure yeah. what they're doing or their, or their output goes down a little bit. How did you manage to get yourself out of that? Um, I suppose I, when I was in Canada, I was writing a little bit, you know, so that was a while after the first album when I, when I lived there for a while. And, um, I just decided really, I just decided I went, the urge came back to play again and the urge came back to actually push the second album. It was as simple as that. I didn't kind of pull myself out of it really. It just kind of reappeared and started to sneak up on me, you know, so. Cool. And um, is there a particular person who is an inspiration to you? Um, not really. <laughs> Joni Mitchell. Suppose, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For this, it's obviously Joni Mitchell. <laughs> Without her, I wouldn't be able to do this gig. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If there was a person or a group, dead or alive, that you'd like to collaborate with, who would it be? I've got a feeling I know the answer for this one already. But uh, <laughs> okay, if I, we'll maybe leave her out because like that's good. Apart from Joni Mitchell, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd be probably too intimidated to collaborate with Joni Mitchell, to be honest. Um, hmm. Ah, uh, I. I think I'd maybe Sarah McLaughlin or somebody like that. Like have a thing about Canadian singers I think so maybe somebody like her yeah and do you have a favorite book well well Anna (laughs) (laughs) I'm reading I'm not a big reader actually so um I'm reading Reckless Daughter at the moment which is a Joni Mitchell biography so I know I'm sorry it's just a bit uh, obsessive at this stage but I do um I'm enjoying it just it's she has had quite an interesting life and it's interesting to read about it as well so are there parts there that you can relate to in, in Joni Mitchell's life and is that part of the reason why you're doing the songs or how does it work not so much her life really no I wouldn't say so you know um but I like I mean the songs, and I think one of the things she says in interviews as well is that you she would prefer you to take your own meaning from the songs. So I think for most songs that's why we like them because we do um, find our own meanings from them, you know. Um, so I, I suppose I like quite a lot of them, and you can and they're quite beautiful as well and intricate and you know it, that kind of fascinates me from a songwriting point of view as well. I suppose. Do you have a favorite Joni Mitchell song? Mm, all um, of them all of them yeah it's hard it's hard to pick one like yeah um i suppose all i want is the one i know best probably and a case of you is lovely and um chinese cafe is probably my favorite one to play with the band because it's that's so different and there's lots of different parts to it so what is your favorite thing about cork um, it's funny, I, I left Cork back in to go to Canada for a year and I, at the time I was disillusioned with Cork, I think, I don't know why, but I just was and I left and then I came back and I was like, oh, actually I really like it. You know, I kind of loved it. The, there's kind of a good mix between familiarity and between being anonymous. You can kind of get, you know, into the nooks and crannies of the city as well and then probably meet someone you know, you know. Um, so I like that aspect, that kind of... Uh, difference I suppose really yeah and if you could change one thing about Cork what would it be more cycle lanes and the bus to run on time oh, maybe brilliant <laughs> that's yeah. the best answer anyone's ever given to You're that welcome. one <laughs> <laughs> more cycle lanes more cycle lanes yeah <laughs> that would be great though because they just stopped dead in the middle of the road you know and I don't know where you're supposed to go yeah sorry <laughs> actually seen someone getting stopped by a guard the other day because they were cycling on the road oh, really? and there was a cycle lane there but but was it, did it have the arrow going the other way? Because are you not... I'm well, the cycle lane was going to end up in the middle of the road anyway, so it kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, they do. A lot of them seem to just stop, you know, when you're just thrown out into the middle of the road, like it's crazy. 
more, more of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you've got the Joni Mitchell gig coming up on yep. the 14th of February, Valentine's Day. Yeah. What else is coming up? Um, for, for me, it's we're going to be putting together some more dates, so they haven't been confirmed yet, so I won't confuse the scenario by uh, announcing them. But the next one that we do know of is the 8th of June in, in um, Galway, so if anyone's up that direction, we'll be doing Joni Mitchell tunes again. Um, and you don't have to be in a couple to go to the Valentine's Night gig. That's very important. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone can go. <laughs> it would be a good night to go by yourself as yeah, well. Yeah, you see, exactly. exactly. So people can follow your progress on your website, which is claramahoney.com. Yeah, correct. And are you on social media and things uh, like that? Yeah, I have a Facebook as well. It's um, Clara Music, so C-L-A-R-E Music. Um, yeah. Facebook, okay. Yeah, brilliant. Facebook.com slash... Thank you very much for joining me today for the podcast. Great. Thanks, Anna. It's been great. Episode 12 of the Rebel Matters podcast is in the bag. Thank you very much to Claire for coming in and speaking to me and singing for all of us and to you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it on your social media and with your friends and give us a five star rating and review on iTunes. This helps big time with the ongoing progress here at Rebel Matters. Don't forget to check out the rest of the episodes on aclai.ie, ackley.ie. And if you're in the market for some top drawer personal training, book a complimentary consultation through the same website and we'll help you achieve whatever goal you have in mind. Our next event at Ackley is the book club on the 24th of February at 12pm. The book of the month is Revolution by Russell Brand, but don't worry if you haven't had time to read it. Come along anyway and enjoy the chats. You can see details about how to get involved on ackley.ie. As usual, the music on the podcast is by the band Keela and the track that we use is called Cardinal Knowledge, one of my favourite Keela tracks. Check them out at kila.ie. James Eade looked after the editing of the podcast today. Show notes for the episode were compiled by Adam Walsh. And if you're listening to this episode on YouTube, the video was created by Peter Heffernan with imagery by Direct Light Digital Marketing. Gajin Kedarela Kara, Kenny Fury.